Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome. We're so glad to have you with us here this evening on Ask Herbal Health Expert Susan Weed, a two-hour radio show each Tuesday night. Herbal medicine is people's medicine, simple, safe, effective. Please bring your curiosity and health questions. Susan will enlighten, surprise, and delight you. I know most of you know Susan Weed already. She's my mom, so I know her. But for those of you who have not yet met Susan, I'd like to share she is the author of the Wise Woman Herbal series, wonderful books on women's health and herbal medicine, including Wise Woman Herbal for the Childbearing Year, Breast Cancer Breast Health! Exclamation Point, The Wise Woman Way, Healing Wise, The Wise Woman Herbal, New Menopausal Years, The Wise Woman Way, down there, sexual and reproductive health, the wise woman way. And abundantly well, seven medicines, the wise woman way. The newest book in the wise woman herbal series. So exciting. In addition to being the editor at Ashtree Publishing and writing her books, Susan is the director of the Wise Woman Center in Woodstock, New York. The Wise Woman Center is open to the public on appointment-only basis. She offers weekend workshops, intensives, and apprenticeships throughout the season. Susan is also available to you online via wisewomanmentor.com. There you can go and view her weekly e-zine. You can subscribe to receive a notification via email each week, or you could join her mentorship program. Susan also offers distance learning correspondence courses and online courses at thewisewomanschool.com. Join us there for colorful, instructive, easy video courses, including Easy Herbal Medicine with Susan Weed, Happy Knees, a cancer diagnosis, adaptogens for long life, and abundantly well companion course, wisewomanschool.com. You can also just go to her website, susanweed.com, where you will find thousands of pages online with recipes, articles, art features, and so much more. Well, for now, let's see what Susan has to share with us this evening. Thank you, and welcome, Susan. And welcome, Rebecca. Thank you, Justine. Mm-hmm. Hello, Susan. How are you doing this evening? Doing pretty well this evening without picking dandelion leaves. Oh, yeah, but, nice. Yeah, we've been catching the 
fringes of those hurricanes. They haven't been smacking us, but we've been getting certainly getting the edges with high winds and lots of rain, and the dandelion loves it, and it's mm-hmm. growing, growing, growing. Um, and especially because it's been difficult to get uh, somebody out here to mow the lawn with it being so wet. So I like the fall dandelion leaves better anyhow. I think they're much, much sweeter. People always talk about the mm-hmm. spring dandelion leaves. And, I, you know, the thrill of having greens in the spring certainly is something wonderful. But for me, the green of the spring is nettle. And uh, mm-hmm. the dandelion is the green of the fall. So I picked a bunch of dandelion leaves carefully plucked all the stalks of grass out of them. You know, if you take your fingers and run them up the edges, the outside edges of the grass leaf, you'll find that they're micro serrated and it can be actually uh, pretty cutting to your intestines to consume grass. So I make sure if I pick something in a grassy area to go through it. I sat down in the hazy day. It was kind of a misty day and sorted through the dandelion leaves, and then I put them in a a kind of wide, but uh, not too deep, a jar about three-quarters filled with water so that the stalk ends were down in the water and then stuck that whole thing in the refrigerator, and they'll stay good until I get a chance to, oh, probably going to cook them up. I was checking out my store of dandelion pesto, and I have a good store of dandelion pesto from last year when I made a couple of quarts of dandelion root tinctures so we had all those leaves to turn into pesto so I'll probably cook these yeah dandelion italiano is one of my favorites so <laughs> mm. I, I look forward to that it's so dry here though right now it's like in the 90s still and we're supposed to it's only supposed to get hotter into the hundreds so um I haven't seen much dandelion around oh I'm so sorry that it's still so hot and dry there ouch ouch <laughs> yeah, there's some fires in some weird places, and uh, I guess they have them contained, though, so that's good. It's not too smoky here, which is nice. This time of year can get really bad here, but, yeah, so it's hot and dry. Okay, got it, hot and dry. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And this evening, I'm going to be talking to Lauren Cooper, an artist, farmer, and community herbalist living in the Appalachian Mountains of Southwest Virginia. She owns and operates Green Star Farm and Apothecary. And she's going to be talking about her apothecary and her apprentices and her clinic. So stay with us until 9 o'clock or come back at 9 o'clock so that you can hear what Lauren Cooper has to say. Mm-hmm. I wonder what the green star is. Is that a star in the sky or just a star that's like the green <laughs> in the the plants that are always showing up as stars, you know, in their flowers? All right. <laughs> uh, let's remember to ask her. All right. Um, are you ready to start taking questions right now, or do you want to? Sure. Sure, no problem. Sure, okay. All right, sounds good. Um, I'll remind the callers to press 1 to ask a question. And uh, we have a couple people queued up, and the first caller is coming from the 828 area code. Hello. Hello? Hi. Hello, talk to me. 
Hello, is this, uh, did you say H-U-H, Erica? Yes, that's you, Septnoretta. Oh, my God, my great love, Susan, how are you doing? I am doing. How about you? Oh, well, I'm not doing great, to say the truth, because I was uh, diagnosed with these factors in my spine, you know. And, yes. Uh, but, but what I wanted to ask you, they, my doctor wanted me to do a CAT scan, a chest and abdomen and pelvis, and they wanted to inject this blue, um, you know, this blue stuff into your veins so they could really get a great picture of what's going on. What do you think of that blue stuff? I, I said I, I'm not, I'll do a CAT scan, but I'm not going to do the blue. I'm not going to do the injection of it. Well, I'll tell you what I ask myself and what I suggest that people ask themselves before they get any kind of scan or test. What are you looking for? Yeah, well, they're looking looking for what is going on with my stomach, which gets very bloated and very... um, And, of course, I do dandelion. I heard you talk about dandelion. I do dandelion with every meal. But my stomach is very... um, So when you say your stomach, is that above your belly button or below it? It's uh, it's below it, but it hurts even... That's not your stomach. Yeah. That's your your intestines. Right. Your stomach is above your belly button. Yeah. Well, they want to do this whole thing because... They want to see what is going on, and of course, as you say, you ask yourself what they're looking for. But they're looking for that um, every time I eat, my stomach gets, you know, blown up, and uh, you're, you're I have... in, every time you eat, your belly is blown up. Your stomach isn't blown up. Yeah, my belly is blown up. Yeah, and a lot of pressure in it. And, I, and every time, even if I, I mean, I could drink, uh, you know, a cup, and maybe I should sip it more, but um, I could drink, like, a, a cup of water or a cup of astragalus or, you know, no matter what, and my stomach blows up forward. Your belly. So my belly blows up, yeah. Very... Uh, and, um, and how does that feel? How does that feel when that happens? And how long does that take? Uh, it's painful. It's uh, very painful, and it takes uh, maybe twenty minutes for it to uh, quiet down. And um, so you're saying it happens like as you're swallowing? Uh, it happens. Let's say that I drank a full cup and I drank it right up. All in one thing, and then I get a lot of pressure in my stomach from it. In maybe your belly. If I drank, if in your belly drank, or in your stomach? In my, uh, well, I mean, it just sort of feels like the whole thing blows up, you know, from from the pelvic uh, to you know the navel. Right. So your yeah. stomach is above your navel. Oh, I see. Yes. So it's a, uh, so it's below the navel. So if it's below the navel, it cannot be your stomach. Nothing is happening to your stomach. 
Uh, so There's nothing you to do with your stomach. Yeah. So what? It's your intestines. Yeah, intestines, yeah. Your intestines. And there's gas in your intestines. Yeah. Because that's, that's what makes you blow up is gas in your intestines. Yeah. So what causes gas in the intestines? Interestingly enough, there are, are a large variety of things. Some of it is, as you say, eating certain foods. Any carbonated beverage is certainly going to make that problem worse. Um, leafy greens, especially things in the cabbage family, including broccoli and cauliflower, can often make it worse. Yeah, sir. Um, yeah. Any kind of spicy foods, hot foods, peppers, that can yeah, make it worse. I don't, I don't go I, near I didn't, that. I didn't figure you did. Yeah. And um, strangely enough, having gas pain is a very early symptom of ovarian cancer. Ovarian, okay. So, a CAT scan without contrast dye... Yeah. Can't see soft tissue. I see, yeah. So if what you want to do is to see your intestines, then you need to use the dye or not have the CAT scan. I see, yeah. One or the other, yeah. So because then the CAT scan doesn't see soft tissue. Yeah. It's not going to see your intestines unless they have some dye in them. Yeah. And what do you think of that dye? I think the CAT scan is far worse than the dye. Oh, really? CAT scans cause cancer. No kidding. So, uh, well, I'm here without a CAT scan because I'm just, uh, uh, I said no to the dye, so, uh, you know, she kind of withdrew a little bit, and, uh, and then, so it's, uh, you can see, it's a hell of a decision to say no, but it's also maybe uh, a better decision to say no. The thing about making decisions, especially yeah. kind of decision about our health, is that we never actually know until after the fact if we're making a good decision or the right decision. Nonetheless, we have to make a decision. Yeah. And that's the reason that most people just do whatever the doctor says. Yeah. Because that way they don't actually have to make the decision, Right. Yeah, I know. Someone else has made the decision, and if it goes badly, they can blame that other person. Yeah. So the next question that I ask after what are we looking for with this test is, and if you find it, what are you going to do? Yeah. What are you going to do with it? Yes. So often... People who aren't going to do anything about it get tests that aren't good for them 
and then kind of hit the wall on the next step, which is, okay, well, we have found this problem, and we want to do this, 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 and this, and you don't want to do any of those things. Yeah. So this is a discussion you can have with your doctor. Why are we doing this CAT scan? What are we looking for or not? Since it sounds like you may have just decided not to have it, either way is good. And if we find it, what are you? What are the options you're going to offer me? Yeah, exactly. Because you may you may not want to find anything because you may not want to deal with it. Yeah. I don't. I don't know. We're all so unique and so different. Yeah. And you know, in some ways, another. You have to listen to your own intuition, even if it's wrong or right. You know what I mean? It's uh, exactly. to go somebody else's decision seems to be uh, not the right thing to do. You know. And you know, I already went at one point with somebody else's decision, and I knew it before I even did it that I shouldn't have done it. And it completely destroyed my health for a long time. I took a muscle relaxer, Western medicine, and it completely dried out my mouth. And I was, you know, in terrible shape eating for the longest time. At least now I can eat without completely... I mean, I couldn't even put a piece of avocado in my mouth without it burning, you know. Oh, how awful. Yeah. And that made that muscle relaxer might have created God knows what, you know what I mean? That I couldn't tolerate. I've always stayed away from Western medicine, except, of course, I take a Synroy every day, but, you know. Yeah, so, well, I guess I'm hearing what you're saying. You know, loud and clear. Okay. Yeah, anything in particular that, you know, what I'm trying to do is, it is gas, and yeah. um, and it is uh, something that I'm, uh, I do slippery, yeah. Yes, Every I night. know you do. How about, yeah. a, a, how about a cup of fennel seed tea? Have you tried that? Fennel seed tea. <clears throat> mm-hmm. It's a renowned gas reliever. Oh, really, yeah, CT, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, if, yes. if you were not passing stool, that could indicate some blockage or damage or something going on in your intestines that could cause a buildup of gas and that you would perhaps want to do something about. But it's, from what you say, um, that... I have have breaking bowel movements every day. Right, exactly. So I'm not worried about that. At 5 o'clock in the morning, it's it's a slippery elm. I do it every single night, religiously. Yeah, and gas pain it, it can be very, very painful. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, a heating pad can sometimes help. Yeah, I use that too. Yeah, heating 
that. Good. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I, I've used that lately a lot, and that has actually helped, you know, a lot. But I, I still have it, you know, and and uh, so it kind of limits my meals. You know, I just eat two meals a day instead of three just because to avoid this, you know, gas, you know, and uh, avoid the pain, basically. That's what it is. Uh, uh, tell me something. Um, I drink a lot of that bone uh, broth. Do you think that's very helpful in this situation? Because it helps with digestives. Yes, I think it it helps wonderfully in this situation. Yeah. The what? Yes, it helps quite a lot in yeah. this situation. I don't think there's anything wrong with your digestion. Yeah. Somehow it happens. You know, then so what, is, what is digestion? Digestion is yeah, the digestion. breaking down of the food stuff that you eat. That starts in your mouth with patilin. That yeah. continues in your stomach with hydrochloric acid. Yeah. And then the liver by way of the gallbladder and the pancreas add more digestive enzymes. And digestion continues in your small intestine. It's pretty rare to have gas in the small intestine, although you certainly can. Um, what I usually see is that people have gas in their large intestines. Yeah. So by then, most of the digestion should be done. In fact, the things that we're talking about that can cause gas don't cause gas because we're not digesting them and because we're digesting them well. Why do we get mm -hmm. gas from eating beans? Because beans have a lot of sugar in them. Those sugars, which are then digested out, um, are food for bacteria that have parties, and there's a lot of farts at those parties. Yeah. So it's, so it's not that we're not digesting. Um, I think your stomach is fine. I think your digestion is fine. Yeah, Let's, you know what it also is? What we can find to relieve the gas. And, again, I... I agree with you that a CAT scan is probably overkill at this point. Yeah. You know, what it is, it's also I'm exhausted from a lot of pain in my back and uh, and also uh, obviously uh, very taken by, you know, I have a living aid helping me because I... You know, I can't, you know, cook my own meals or anything like that anymore. So, obviously, I also say that the smallest thing uh, upsets me and, and upsets my stomach, of course, you know, both emotionally and um, that, you know, I lost my independence to uh, a bad back, you know what I mean? So, it's uh, obviously... That is also upsetting and uh, maybe bringing a lot of gas into my stomach, you know. There's no gas in your stomach. No, your stomach in my no head. nerve endings. You cannot feel any pain in your stomach. Your stomach yeah. is above your belly button. But do you, you think 
that kind of thing could bring uh, gas into the uh, intestine, large intestine, that kind of emotional stuff. I I agree with you if you think it has, and my question then is, what next, Moretta? You're not the kind of person to just say, oh, woe is me. No. No, I'm uh, Okay, so you have an aide. Let me tell you a story about Connie. When I first met Connie, Connie was in a wheelchair. She had a rare genetic disease that was basically destroying her ability to move. And she, at that point, did not have the use of her legs, but she did have the use of both hands and most of the use of one arm and the use of her face and her neck and her head. And during the time that I was there visiting with her, she said, why don't you come over to dinner? I'd like to make you dinner. And being, you know, the autistic person that I am, I looked at her and I said, Connie, you can't make me dinner. You're in a wheelchair. And she laughed and she said, you come to dinner and you'll see me making dinner. So I took her up on the offer and I went over to Connie's. And Connie said to her aide, please find two onions that are about the same size and shape. Mm. And peel them. And I would like you to cut them this way. Please take that pan and put it on that burner and put in this much oil. And at the end of this, I had to admit that Connie had made dinner. Yeah. Well, that's and kind of how I was. my association with her. And she lost more and more use as she had to go on a, to a ventilator. Mm-hmm. I saw a woman who didn't value herself by her physical capabilities. Yeah. But found other ways to value herself. We all hate it when we lose any part of our independence. We are, I think, born wanting independence. I certainly see it in young children. That's all they want is be independent. And it's a blow. It's certainly, you know, when... My dad was told, you know, you're not in physical shape to drive anymore. He really chose to make it the end of his life. Yeah. I remember taking a walk with him soon after that, and I said, so, Dad, what's new and interesting? And he said, nothing. And from there, he just sat down in his chair and turned on the TV and checked out. Yeah. Took some years before his body was willing to check out. Yeah. If he couldn't be independent, that was it. He wasn't going to hang out. And I really didn't like that. But and you, you really but, it, but you know, but it was him. Yeah. There was a, there was a certain rightness to it for him, for who he was. Yeah. But. But I do not think that it's right for you. Yeah. No, no, I have a... So grieve your your loss. Have a funeral. Yeah. Mourn. Absolutely. It's a horrible thing to lose any part of our independence. 
But don't let it stop you. Don't let it embitter yeah. Well, this doctor, she's kind of promising me that I'll, I'll be, uh, my back is going to get better and all this, the rest of it. But, um, you know, it's, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. Yeah. And even if it does, it's okay to appreciate what's going on right now. Yeah. Even if your back gets better and is going to get better, it's okay to appreciate having an ache. Yeah, well, that I do. Good. Yeah, that I do. It's uh, also uh, by the grace of my ex-husband who is paying for everything. All right. (laughs) Goes to show you something, doesn't it? Doesn't it, though? Yeah, it sure does. He's been very grateful to me. So, because, yeah, of our kids. Loves our kids and our grandchildren. And he says, uh, he says to me, you're a beautiful grandchildren. And uh, and I said, well, they're also yours. He said, no, I have nothing to do with them. They're beautiful because of you. So <laughs> yeah. I knew you would enjoy that. Well, thank you so much, sweetie. I love you. You're my great love. Love you. Mm. Thank you. Green blessings. Green blessings. Um, I have a quick question just about Pearly Everlasting, the um, anaphylaxis. Is it um, Margar and Taisia? Asia? Um, do you have any use for that, Susan? That you that you've used it? I read in. Um, uh, I was just reading a passage out of this book, um, "Woman in a Shaman's Body," and they were she was talking about uh, a native woman that used it for um, stiff joints. And it's just blooming all around me, and I haven't used it too much. I know other people use it, but I was drawn to make a salve with it, so I'm I am infusing it right now in some. Well, go for it. That so. sounds like fun. Yeah, I was wondering, do you have any? Does it grow out there? Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Um. And of course, there's nothing that's outright poisonous in the Asteraceae family. Mm-hmm. And especially if you're considering using it externally. And somebody was telling me that she uses dandelion for external pain relief. Oh, yeah, yeah. Dandelion, I've heard people say it's like the teeth of the lion that cuts through pain. And right. I've ha- I've, I have tried the oil before, yeah, and used it in that way. Yeah. So, you know, mm-hmm. m- most of those Asteraceae um <clears throat> Antis help to relieve pain. And if there's mm-hmm. lots yeah. really everlasting, well, why not give it a whirl? Cool. I'm going to try it out. I love the smell of it. It's, it's very... Uh, say it again. I said, we're the, the herbalists are the ones who get to come to school with the box of 72 crayons. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, yeah. And lots I and love the of smell of it. It's like very lightly fragrant and it's just, it's special. It's, it's it's a unique plant. 
Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, cool. I'll let you know how my experimentation goes. <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. The next caller here is coming from the 919 area code. Hello. Hi. Hi. Um, I have a quick question. Um, I heard the call from last week where someone called in um, to ask about, oh, what was it? It was some berry, and they wanted to know if they could um, tincture it or, or uh, oh, gosh, it was like huckleberry or something. I can't remember. And it made me think to ask you, I have a lot of goji berries, like dried goji berries, that um, I got from Frontier. And we eat them, you know, kind of like as a snack or whatever, like a raisin kind of thing. Um, but I was thinking about trying to tincture it. I did it a long time ago just for kind of just to use in cocktails, basically. But I was wondering if um, it could be used medicinally or has any of, like, those properties when you use um, alcohol to tincture it. Yes. Goji berry tincture is used. Okay. A lot of the um, a lot of the activity is transferred into the tincture. And I think that it um is great that you're eating them. I always think that plants that can be brought into the diet probably will give us a little more than plants that we take as a tincture sometimes a lot more than plants we take as a tincture. Um, But it's nice to have things tinctured if you're going to travel. Because they travel a little better as tinctures. So there's certainly no reason why you couldn't put a bottle of goji berry tincture in your pharmacy. Great. Yeah, and I was kind of, I, it made me think, like, you had said, oh, I wish I could remember. It wasn't blackberry, but it was some other berry that she was talking about. And you said that um, uh, in Russia they would they would put them in vodka, but they would drink a lot of it be, to get, Just like, the benefit. We were talking about Shisandra berries. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, and you said, like, they would drink, like, four ounces at a time, and... I was one, well, you know, I ounce, just don't. At least an ounce at a time. Oh, okay, okay. Okay, yeah. But, you know, not, I like, not like a dropper full. Yeah, yeah, so in larger quantities. Yeah, because I love the taste of the goji berries in vodka. <laughs> I mean, I I like an occasional, like, cocktail or whatever. And the goji yeah. berries in vodka is really yummy. And so yummy. I actually like the Shubandra's tincture too because I've made that also from dried berries um okay great and do like what exactly what are some of the like properties that are beneficial from the goji berries goji is the fruit of a plant in the tomato family and it has virtually all of the same properties that tomato does being very high in carotenes 
and those carotenes helping to protect the eyesight and increase eyesight. Acuity. Mm-hmm. Goji is considered an adaptogen, which means that it uh, helps you ease back from overproduction of cortisol, and it increases, in general, the acuity of the thought process and increases lifespan. Great. Those sound wonderful. Okay. Well, great. I'm going to enjoy my goji berries and vodka. <laughs> right. Thank you, enjoy Susan. your goji berries snack, too. Thanks so much yeah, for calling. Awesome. Thank you. Good night. Green blessings. The next caller is, <clears throat> excuse me, coming from the 845 area code. And if you have a question for Susan, make sure to press 1. I have one. Hello? Hello? Yes? Hello? Go ahead. Hi. (laughs) Hi. What's up this week? So uh, this is Tatiana, and uh, my question, yes, is um, how I can get stronger and lighter. Uh, I do feel less pain. I am glad that was my left side that got me scared that I might have a stroke, which did not happen. And I didn't go to an orthopedist. I just did gentle Feldenkrais and patience and help uh, with somebody else who was doing the same while she was uh, talking to me on the phone. Uh, we didn't meet each other, but she was a dancer, and uh, we had a lot in common. So I'm very grateful for that. I'm also grateful for the uh, tincture of uh, Hypericum Perforatum. It did help with the pain. You told me to take it before the exercise and after, and it is it uh it is dark now the problem is uh my heart is not strong enough to carry my two hundred pounds, which are seventy pounds above my normal weight i mean which I had uh twenty years ago and um standing is extremely difficult i mean I can stand for two minutes where I can walk from my door to the car quite uh, balanced, but then I collapse. And if I sit for more than five minutes, I want to fall asleep, which is another thing that I don't know if it's age-related or blood pressure medication-related or the um, aspirin I'm taking every other day, the minimum baby aspirin uh, that dissolves itself gradually, um, three times a week only. Uh, Basically, I do have a weak heart, and that's why it's hard to walk and hard to stand, and I feel pretty disabled, but I don't look it, except that I am overweight. But because I'm overweight all over my body, it doesn't look 
terribly bad. I don't care about how I look these days. Uh, I do care about having the capacity and the will and the help to lose the weight. That annoys me greatly. Um, I was thinking lately maybe I should buy chewing gum that has no sugar and chew the gum in of zero calories. Uh, maybe it would be better to buy chewing gum with sugar rather than sugarless gum. We now know that artificial sweeteners tend to change gut flora, increasing weight. Oh, I didn't think about taking with sugar replacement, just no sugar, when it has just a little bit of well, cinnamon. I don't think there's any chewing gum that has no sugar that doesn't have a sugar substitute. Oh. Oh, I didn't know that. I'm so unfamiliar with my own resources of inspiration. If it says sugar-free, it means it has a sugar substitute in it. Uh huh. So, it, how much sugar does uh, a thing like that? There's very little sugar. If you think very that chewing, if you think that chewing gum will help you eat less, I'm all for it. It's a yeah. great idea. Yeah, yeah. Just, just is there any particular food that you think is making you gain weight? Uh, I don't eat a lot, but I eat three times a, a day. I, uh, when I was younger and I, I lived in Europe, the, the major meal was in the middle of the day, and at the end of the day you eat a fruit or a small salad or, or a yogurt. You know, there is no meal at the end of the day, and the end of the day is 6 o'clock. And, of course, going to bed at 10, I always went to go. Uh, I went at to go to sleep. Not that I wanted. It was natural to go to sleep on an empty stomach. I lost that habit. I'm already more than 30 years in America, in Manhattan, and 12 years in Woodstock. And it's the habit of the Americans is that they eat at the end of the day, and they eat a lot. I know some people that eat once a day at night. But my metabolism and my age and uh, not a lot of food, not a lot of food, yeah. I need to eat a lot less and move a lot more, and that's not happening. Well, that's why I was asking if there's any one particular food, because what I find is that telling ourselves something like, I need to eat less, is very difficult to translate into action. Yes, I don't. I don't eat anything more. Sometimes, if I go to my daughter and they're vegetarians, I can eat a salad for dinner, and I love to eat a salad. It can be, you know, a full plate of salad, but still, it doesn't feel heavy. That's the only thing that I can say. I'm eating more than anything else is vegetables. What I'm asking you is, do you think there's any one particular food that you're eating that is causing you to be overweight? Well, my mind is telling me, of course, that that bread and uh, rice and potatoes, I don't eat a lot of them, but that that you know, might have more calories than vegetables and protein. I, I don't eat a lot of it. You so, know. so in terms of bread, would you say you eat one piece of bread a day? Um, in the morning, 
I would say two slices through the day I will eat probably half a cup of rice or potatoes something like that so the reason I'm asking this is sometimes it's easy to take one food out of your diet oh I see taking out the the, the bread and the bread. potato just, is, no no just no. one thing yeah just one thing the bread uh, 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 just one the bread but then I will go and for rice. You eat rice and potatoes. That's absolutely fine. And if you want to have rice or potatoes for breakfast instead of bread, that's fine too. Yeah, just, I like that. Yeah. Let's see what happens if you don't eat bread for a while. Yeah, I, I can. That's a good suggestion. Thank you. Yeah. How about the weakness? One of the things about losing weight is that it can seem overwhelming because we can think of a lot of different things we can do. By focusing in on one thing, we give ourselves one specific area that we can be successful in. Yeah, I I agree with you. I know I'm very easy to, to say yes, but what I basically do is I don't keep bread in the freezer, and that's it. Exactly. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be for the rest of your life, but as an experiment for a while and see, see what happens. Yeah. How about and, the and I think we've talked about this, um, but let me say again that more and more that we're finding that three to five minutes of exercise every hour uh-huh. is better than an hour's worth of exercise all at once. Oh, I don't exercise an hour, but uh, I I take. You, so you're telling me you can stand up for two minutes. Yeah. Stand up for two minutes and do some leg lifts or do some stretches, do whatever you can in that two minutes, and then sit down for the rest of the hour, and then get up again the next hour for another two minutes, and don't put yourself down for just doing two minutes at a time. So long as you do it most hours that you're awake, it's going to make a big difference. A friend of mine had surgery. She was really committed to continuing her exercise. And that's all she could manage was five minutes an hour. But that five minutes an an hour she did at least eight times a day. Eight times a day? You mean? Eight times, yeah. She didn't yeah, just get up for, hour, for five yeah. minutes. Yeah. She, the next hour, she got up for five minutes again, and the next hour, and the next hour. And it doesn't, it's okay if you skip an hour, but she made sure that in the hours that she was awake, at least eight times, she was getting in her five minutes of exercise. And it's made a great, great improvement in her recovery. And I'm yeah. saying that for you, five minutes is probably too much. Two minutes sounds more like it, but that counts too. No, I can do I can do five minutes. Uh, you know, I I can have a chair next to me for just in case. But I can I can go for that. Yeah, and even if it's just a little walk around your house. Yes. Yeah. Yes, that's a, a very good idea. I like it because the moment I sit, um, I'm seeing wonderful. You know, I visit the Metropolitan Museum with a DVD. That was my major point of attraction in New York City besides the Central Park and I loved them both and I was there pretty often. 
So uh, I did sit and enjoyed a lot visiting the Metropolitan Museum without actually being there because I've been there for 20 years. And that was absolutely great. I need to be more moving and more excited about what I do, and I need to create a daily program that I look forward to. I'm totally in control of my time, and I'm upset that I'm not more creative and expressive with the time I have. Um, yeah, thank you. Thank you for this is a good idea every every hour to move. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think you can do these things, and I look forward to talking to you again. Thank you very much, Susan. Thank you. Good blessings. Good night, Tatania. Okay, the next caller is coming from the 818 area code. Hello? 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 Hi, Susan. Hello? 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 We can hear you. Can you hear us? I can hear you. Wonderful. Oh, good. Oh, great. Wow, I got right in. How wonderful. So I had a question. My dog has fleas. I think that's a song. (laughs) To tune the ukulele. My dog has fleas. And I know it's it's a new dog that you've talked many times in your podcasts with several dog owners, but I can't go back through thousands of hours to find what you use for a flea solution. <laughs> well, I, I once was given a kitten, a fairly old kitten, who had very dense fur and definitely had fleas. Mm-hmm. And um, I worked with somebody who had worked with a vet, and she said, you have to wash the kitten. I'm like, wash the kitten? And she said, yeah. Kitten's not going to like it, but that's what we're going to do. And we actually did wash the kitten. We washed the kitten with Dr. Bronner's peppermint soap. Oh, beautiful. I have that. And the fleas were very unhappy with that. And they started jumping away from the smell of that peppermint soap. Ooh. And they were all, you know, it was in a basin of water, right? And there were mm-hmm. all these fleas in the basin of water drowning. And so, you know, we did that and we dumped the water. And I said, oh, that's the, and she looked at me and she said, no, that's just begun. I said, what? <sighs> she, said, she said, this has to be done at least three times and then we'll see where we're at. And I'll tell you, the second time, so we didn't wash the, the kitten again. And like maybe twice as many fleas in the water. Wow. I was really yeah. astonished. I, 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 I just well, would have stopped I, the first one, right? And yeah. So then, you're right. Then we, like, rinsed the kitten off and threw away all that, you know, pepperminty water. And then we washed it a third time. And this time, uh, the kitten was actually starting to enjoy it, strangely enough. Mm-hmm. And I was able to get my fingers into her fur and start to massage it a little bit. And there were some fleas, but there weren't a lot. And so my instructor helper said okay we can stop with three but if there had been a lot this time i would have gone on okay so you need to keep washing and do it in a way like if it's a dog i guess in your bathtub 
so that you can yeah. actually, actually see the fleas that you're getting. We went outside because we didn't want fleas jumping around in the house. Well, this is what confuses me is I'm a flea magnet, and I haven't had animals for years. This is a rescue dog that my daughter brought in. It didn't have fleas initially, but it must have caught them in the neighborhood. And I have not gotten any flea bites, so that doesn't make any sense to me because I'm a flea magnet. But my diet may be different because I'm doing nourishing herbal infusions, and I haven't had an animal for several, many, many years. So maybe maybe the nourishing herbal infusions are keeping the fleas away. So, no, okay, that this is good. So the Dr. Bronner's peppermint soap, which I have, and we did. Now, what, what my daughter did do without knowing, she went on the Internet, and then I have, and I know essential oils are really bad, but I happened to have some tea tree oil. She sprayed that on the dog. I said, oh, God, don't do that. You have to dilute it. It was already sprayed on, and she took the dog outside and said fleas were hopping all over her. So that's why I think it's fleas. And then I said, you got to wash that dog. You can't have that essential oil on there. So do, do you think maybe a little spritz of tea tree oil would help? Because that, that clearly was helping initially. What makes Dr. Bronner's peppermint so pepperminty? Peppermint. Peppermint oil. Mm-hmm. Okay. Would peppermint tincture be okay also? Because I've made a lot of that. I don't know why. I just did. No. No. Okay. All right. Yes, that I made that for digestion. That that that's a different story. Okay, I just wanted to make I wanted to rule that out so I don't waste any of that. Okay, perfect. So three we'll do three three big baths in the bathtub where I take my baths where we can see the fleas. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely. Sounds good. (laughs) Yes, Susan, thank you so much. You're welcome. Can I ask you one more question? One more question. So I made milk thistle, um, a tincture of milk thistle with the seeds, and then I noticed, wow, it looks like I just put way too many seeds in. So I made, um, like Rebecca does, tincture tea, and I was able to get two batches, like boil it once, and then it looks still good and boil it again. Is that okay? So I'm a little unclear really as to what you're asking. So let me talk about tincture tea. Okay. After we've made a tincture and that tincture has been used and there's nothing left in the jar but the plant material. Correct. There's some alcohol still trapped in that plant material. Yes. So I pour boiling water over the plant material, and that's the tincture tea. And whereas you might use a dropper full of tincture, you'd have to use like maybe half a cup of tincture tea. Okay, perfect. I just don't want to waste the menthol. Very dilute. Can you pour more boiling water over it? Sure, but your dose would probably be a cup now. Okay, I'm trying. I'm just kind of using it as a tea, as instead of my nourishing herbal infusion, just so I don't waste no, anything. No, absolutely not. It is not instead of a nourishing herbal infusion. That's like saying instead of breakfast, I'm going to have a hot fudge sundae. 
Gotcha. Okay. Okay. That's that answers my question right there. And I mean, it wouldn't be because it's really rare. You're going to make a tincture tea. But if I'm going to drink something, I'm, I might as well be not wasting something. It's not a matter of waste, and tincture tea can sit out at room temperature for up to six weeks. You don't have to oh, use wow. it right away. Okay. Oh, that answers everything right there. Wow. You're right, because the alcohol would have already done everything to make it not be able to rot. Right. Okay, that makes sense. Oh, then that, that was actually You're not getting anything out of the plant by putting the water on it. You're just recovering the last part of the alcohol. Okay, yes, yes, because it, it does still turn milky white when I make the tea out of it. Right, from the alcohol. Okay, great. That No, that that really clears it up for me because I, I hate that. Oh, I wonder if I'm doing this right thought yeah. for years. <laughs> Look, it's not even a matter of right. In a commercial situation, the plant matter would be put in a press and the last of the alcohol would be pressed out of it. Yeah, this is just an at-home way to still get a little more, <laughs> just to get a little more from your stuff because you work with a lot of people who, you know, don't have a lot of extra and they need to be conserving what they have, and that's fine by me. I think it's a good idea. Okay, beautiful. So I don't necessarily make tincture tea with every bottle of tincture that I empty, just the ones that I really think I'm going to be using. Okay, I just think I added too much milk thistle to this one, and I wanted to get just wanted so to not, not waste anything. What you mean by when you say you added too much milk thistle to it? The seeds. I think I put too many seeds in this one jar to to the hundred proof alcohol. I think I just uh-huh. it just well, seems like they were dried seeds. Yes. 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 So you want to fill the jar about one third full. Yeah, I think it's, I think I filled it a half, and it just seemed like I could get more out of it. So that was the. Point. But you're not getting more out of it. That's not what's happening. Mm. That's not what tincture tea does. Okay. But at least we're not wasting something. I'm not really sure about the waste. It's that there's some after you take the seeds out of the tincture, after the, after you've used, and I wouldn't even take them out. I would wait until I had used up all the tincture. Okay, that's something I haven't done. And then I pour the boiling water onto the leftover plant matter. Okay. That's, that's a great idea. Now, see, I didn't think of that. Leave the menstruum in there until you've used it all, and then... Okay. 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 Susan, thank you so much. And green blessings. You are welcome. Great questions. Enjoy talking to you. Green blessings. Okay. Okay. All right. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. The next caller is coming from the 603 area code. And if you have a question for Susan, make sure to press 1. Good evening, Susan. So nice to... 
Hi, so nice to hear hear you, and you sound great. So I I assume you're doing well. Very I well. Didn't hear, good. I didn't hear the begin. I didn't hear the beginning of your program. So um, I'm going to see if I can get it online. So um, oh, about the last last caller, it brought. I have um a couple of questions, but the last call call brought something to my mind. Um. Is it okay just to eat the like that's usually what I do? I just I have been eating, for example, if I have my dandelion tincture and I take a little bit to help with digestion and I leave the blossoms in there, and then when the um, when the tincture is all gone, when I've used it all up, or or even sometimes when it's not all gone. I just would have pop pop one of the dandelion blossoms into my mouth. <laughs> I mean, is it okay? No just problem of any kind. Great idea. Go for it. Oh, okay. Well, that solves that. Okay. Um, thank you so much. Now, my next question is: um, I I tried to search online because um, I I don't find how to make uh, an infused evening primrose oil, and. Um, I couldn't find anything by you, but um, the only oils I've made so far um, was um, a couple years ago with the um, Hypericum. And I remember I cut up, uh, yeah, because you showed that on online, um, I cut up the fresh plant material and then poured um, olive oil over it. Now, my question is, how, how do I do that with, evening, with the evening primrose? Flower, can you please explain? Can you tell me that? what you're going to be. Can you tell me what you're going to be usually using your evening primrose flower oil for? Oh well, um, I've I've I read and and I need you, your assistance to tell me if this is correct. Um, that it it's very useful to rub on against against pain, muscle soreness, or and uh, so I'll be so using I it externally. Think, I think that what you're reading is about evening primrose seed oil. Um, see, that's why it wasn't. That's why I'm confused. It was used, Someone was using the dried evening primrose blossoms. So I said, I got to... Where was she them. getting dried evening primrose blossoms? She was picking them and drying them and then making, putting them in a jar and pouring oil over it. So then do that if that's what you want. Well, I didn't know if that was proper because all I could remember is when... I'm not sure what you mean by proper. Well, There are lots and lots and lots of ways to do things. One of the great joys of herbal medicine is it's pretty hard to do it wrong. Well, I want to get the most benefit out of what what I'm, you know, the plant material because all I could remember is that... But um, talking about something created by someone else. So what I'm saying is do what she did. I want to do what you would do. (laughs) I have never made even primrose oil in my life and wouldn't use it. Oh, really? So I have a muscle oil. I'm going to use hypericum oil. You would use hypericum oil if what? If I had a muscle ache. Yes, well, I do that too. Um, right. But I'm I, I grow philopendula, and I make philopendula oil, which is a great painkiller externally. Well, and I don't well, have 
very much external pain or joint pain. So I don't make okay. a lot of remedies for that. Did you say philopendula? Philopendula officinalis, yes. Is that spelled P-H-I-L? No, F-I-L-L. Philopendula, I've not heard of that one. You use that for muscle aches as well? Yes, against muscle ache. I mean, against muscle aches, and that's spelled F-I-L-L-A-P-E-N-D, like similar to calendula, but beginning with F-I-L-L? yes. Oh, wow, I just learned a new one. Okay, could you please tell me? I do always, when I am making an oil, I use fresh plant material. That's what, what I was asking, because I could only remember making that other oil, and it was fresh plant material, so I said... But I don't know if her recipe will work that way. I'll tell you, if I'm making a food recipe, my rule is the first time I make it, I slavishly follow the recipe, since the whole well, idea I don't to follow, is to do it yeah. somebody else's way... I'm going to do it somebody else's. There's a few things, like if it calls for huge amounts of sugar, I'll cut back on that. If it calls for right. any kind of salt, I won't thing. put that in it. But other than those minor things, I'm going to follow the recipe, even if it seems weird or too much this or too much that. And we were right. just talking tonight about years ago, I tore a recipe out for a, a Dutch apple pancake, uh, which was so good, but um, we thought that there wasn't nearly enough apple in it. And so the next time we doubled up on the amount of apple because the next time I make the recipe, I don't have to follow it. Now I kind of know what the recipe is getting at. And eventually we got to the point where really there was more apple in there than batter because that's the way we like the apple pancake. Um, We had strayed, you know, pretty Mm -hmm. far from the original recipe. But the first time I did it, I followed it the way they did it. So I would get to know what that person was doing. And again, well, with herbs, it's very hard to mess up. So why not make some with the fresh flower and some with the dried flowers? And then you can compare them. Okay. I, w- I was really looking to see what you did, but you said you have never made or um, evening primrose uh, infused oil. You've, you've made hot right. oil, but you, is that what right. you did I hear you correctly? Okay. Can you please tell me, Susan, um, what you have made with um, evening primrose oil, because I know there are many benefits for women. Evening Nothing? primrose seed oil is what's for sale. Okay. Okay. And what have you made with evening primrose seed? I have not made anything with evening primrose seed. It's an item of commerce. It's the oil pressed from the seed. Oh. Oh. So are you saying that um, you all... The only thing that you have um, used primrose, the, the plant, for would be to eat the flowers? Yes. And you haven't used uh, ever used the root? Or any I've eaten the root plant? occasionally. Yes, okay. And eat the root and the leaves, too, you can eat occasionally, I understand. And I haven't had the opportunity to try yet because I just found, found it out yesterday and I actually found some growing in my yard, so I feel it's there for it me. It is so. a biennial, and you probably found yes. the ones that are flowering. Yes. Which means the root's no longer edible. Right, 
you're supposed to do that in the spring the first year, correct? Well, you can't do it in the spring the first year because there's no plant. I mean, um, you're supposed to the end of the first year, I'm sorry, or in the spring of yes. the next year. I read that. Yes. before. Yes. That was my bedtime reading, but I really wanted to see if what you had to say, and that's why I wanted to call you. Okay. You're my expert. So I, I thank you for, for that suggestion. So other than eating it, um, I can't make, do anything. With, can you also just eat, eat the seeds? I've never seen, I mean, I saw the seed pods. Uh, no, I've never seen this. I haven't seen the seed pods yet. I've seen like the little buds before they open, and I've seen the open flower. So is there any, any part, can you do something with the um, seed pods? themselves when they appear you said you can't press the seeds because that has to be done commercially do i understand you correctly yes if you have a press you can do it but i don't think you have a press do you Mm, i don't even know what kind of a press you would use to press seeds um i grind seeds in a in a little coffee grinder Mm mm-hmm and I'm sure that you could do that with the evening primrose oil seeds once you collect them. So what? So I got. I guess I have to observe this plant and watch it go to seed. Uh, can you use the uh, the little the the buds before they open for anything? Or is it better just to wait for them to open? It depends on what you want. Well, I'm I'm I don't know what I want. I just know I an, need an experiment. My an experiment. Well, I wanted to ask you, Susan, what you if you have used them. I understand, but what I'm saying is you're missing out on all the fun. Oh, no. I have plenty of fun experimenting, but right now, um, it's I It's not guess a plant I, I use. To... Let me be clear. It's not a plant I use. Oh, okay. Okay. So you can I keep do asking have me some... all these questions, and my answers okay. will be the same. I don't use this plant. Okay, so you, okay, you have, okay. Uh, one more question on that then. Um, I, I picked some yesterday, and they, um, of course, are now dry. I, I was too exhausted by the, by the time I got other chores done that I, I couldn't, I didn't do anything with them. Um, they're now dry. Um, I don't know what I should do with them. Um, I guess I could just, put them into vinegar or just experiment, like you say, because you haven't used it, used it at all. Any suggestions? It is certainly something that I warn the apprentices about all of the time. I say one of the most important things in terms of being on the good side of the plants is to make sure that you don't harvest plant material beyond your capacity to utilize it. Yeah, and it was just a handful. Do, very easy to do because yeah. there, there are so many gifts. So what yeah. I always suggest is not to harvest unless you have the time set aside Yes. to deal with yeah, your that harvest. Was, mm-hmm. Yes, that was my intention, but just something came up in the family, and I, you know how you have to put a people first, so... Anyway, um, and it wasn't much, but I just have wondered what I should do with that dried blossom. And I get, is your answer experiment and see? Because I guess Absolutely. it's a food because it's Absolutely. edible. Go ahead, go ahead and experiment and see. 
Well, thank you so much, Susan. Appreciate you so much. You are welcome. Thank you. Good Good night. Good night. Same to you, sweetheart. Same to you. Good night. The next caller is coming from the 919 area code. Hi, Susan. Hi. I'm wondering if you could speak about uh, ancestral trauma and how to heal that. I'm thinking that you need to speak about ancestral trauma. I don't. I want to explore it because I feel that something's there. And what does that mean to you? I feel like I'm being... I feel like I'm being called to heal that. I don't really know what it is, and I don't know if it's important for me to know exactly what it is. Um, But I do feel that I need to connect with my ancestors, and I need to go to the ones who I feel... um, did something right, if that makes sense. Sometimes when I look um, at my family line (laughs) on both sides, it's hard for me to see where somebody was good where there was a good person. You you believe that everyone in your family is bad? No, I don't. And and when I even when I say that, I would never want anyone in my family to hear me say that because I don't think that about them or myself, but I feel like I'm looking to something to something beyond what I've experienced in my normal interactions with my family. You know, even my grandparents, my great-grandparents, there was never anything that was, like, deeply meaningful. I never felt like anything was like past to me it's like a lack of like culture and tradition that uh, it's hard to explain there's like a deficit of like a rich like heritage When we talk about anger, we talk about the ABCs of anger. And it doesn't just stop at C. 
There's de-anger and e-anger, and e-anger is existential anger. And basically, existential anger is anger that life is not more meaningful. Anger that our parents didn't do exactly the right thing for us. Anger that we didn't have the childhood we think that we should have had. One of the assignments that Jean Houston gave us while we were studying uh, the development of human capacity with her was that we had to spend the day talking to each other only about happy childhood memories. And one of the women in the group said, I was a child in Germany during World War II. I have no happy memories. And Jean said to her, you do too. And you are going to find them and talk about them. So the weird thing for me is I had a really good childhood. I sometimes feel like I overly, like, idolized my childhood and my parents and everything. But as I've grown up and become an adult, I've looked at it from a different perspective. And it's confusing to know what's true and what isn't true. I'm a little unclear about what you mean by that. Are you saying I mean, that you think are you saying you think that adults lied to you? No. I mean my memories of childhood from being a child until, you know, my early to late twenties everything I idolized everything. I didn't really look at things from a like from the vantage point of wow, like this certain instance, this, I never would have done this with my children or I don't know. I just became more, I guess I picked it apart more and really analyzed it from a more like from a mental space, not from a feeling or heart space. And then it made me question, was it as good as I thought it was or am yes, I now it seeing Yes, it was. Yes, it was. Because I feel like it was idyllic. Isn't is it not okay? Are you not allowed that? No, no I feel like I am, and I I want that. I guess really the ancestral part is just trying to explore that deeper and go deeper into it. And how do I? go farther into that because I do know that there are things on both sides of my family that happened and I don't know I just want a way to kind of make peace with that and not just for myself but from everybody in between myself all the way back to then and into my into the future generations of my family I would say the best way to do that is ask for it Do you have a ritual or a spell or a mantra or anything that you think could help me begin that? Before you go to sleep each night, think about what it is you want. 
and really think about what it is you want. Do you want to connect with ancestral trauma or do you want to con- connect with ancestral delight? I want it to be delight. I don't feel like it's important for me to know details of of anything bad or sad or Okay. Okay. I'll do that. Thank you. You're welcome. Green blessings. Green blessings. The next caller is coming from the 352 area code. Hi, Susan. This is Carol Hi. calling. Hi. How are you? Doing well. Good. I know I asked this question a couple months ago. I just can't remember. And I, okay. It was about alfalfa, and I know that was in that pregnancy blend a long time ago. And then you, and then you, you're, you haven't, have you ever worked with alfalfa or, and I know you said something about it having mold, but I, I'll tell you, I'll you know, pretty, pretty early on, um, I was reading a lot about alfalfa in books and oh. my personal take on it, um, as I began to experience it, um, was that it wasn't friendly oh. to human beings. And how, how, what made you think that thought? Like what, it, it wasn't a thought. It was how I. It was my experience. Um, okay. And what was that experience? And from a, it is from my experimenting with that plant and saying, "Oh, people are saying this is a great plant. Let me try it out. Let me be with it. Let me experience it." And my experience was, "Oh, this is not a plant that is friendly to human beings." For instance, one summer I said all right, this summer I'm going to work with the ferns. And New York is actually a ferning destination. Uh, We're renowned for the ferns in New York State, so I had a lot that I could study and look at and find out about ferns. And I spent the whole spring and summer and fall in my study of ferns. And at the end of that, I said to the ferns, all right, I think I really got you. I think I really understand now. How would you like me to present you to the world? And the ferns said, what you are to do is to tell people to leave us alone. We want to have nothing to do with people. Well, that's definitely what they put off. Huh? I mean, I, I hear you. Right. So it wasn't a thought I had. It was an experience. It was an experience. Okay. And and so I have not taught anything about ferns. And in fact you'll find very few American herbalists who use ferns for anything. Uh-huh. But if you read back in the earlier herbals, there were ferns that were used. But I think all of us got that message, which is, no, leave us alone. Don't. What they really right. more, What I really more specifically heard was the time for using the ferns is past. And so in relation to the alfalfa. So you were asking me what I experienced, and that's what I experienced. Okay, I did. experience with alfalfa was similar. This is not a plant that wants to help people. And so I went went on, 
and said, all right, all of these books are talking about alfalfa. I do not experience alfalfa as wanting to help me. What does want to help me? And the answer was red clover. And that is the same. It's a fodder like the alfalfa is. Exactly. Okay, I I hear you, and I got that. I'm listening. I just wanted to get more clarity on that because people are still using the alfalfa in their pregnancy blend. And um, well, I've you just know been replacing it with the Blends are not very effective anyhow. So it, it, I do hear that. I do hear that. But it's a blend. I don't really care because I figure they're not really serious. Well, these midwives, I mean, at least they've got them on the you know, making what they say an infusion. With their Are blend, they with making the infusions? You know, Are they actually making a lot infusions? Of yeah. I'm curious to what you're saying. No, I'm serious. No, I, I think they are, in my belief, they're asking them to make infusions, but I think they're not telling them to do that one out. And so, yeah, the, my pregnant daughter and her two friends, I told them to rotate through these guys. These these plants, and not to not to blend them, you know. Right. Drink your and one ounce per quart, boiling water, tap it, set overnight, drain it, eat it, drink it. Right. Right. And but this blend has been around a long time. It's a little hard to kick it some, but if they're making the infusions correctly, good point. I'm not sure what blend being around for a long time has to do with anything at all. Just that the midwives are using the alfalfa, alfalfa, red clover, nettles, and oat straw. That has not been around a long time. It's been around for 25 or 30 years. That's not a long time. True be that. All right. I stand corrected. I I, I hear that. You're right. That is not a long time in light of time. No, it's not. You're exactly correct. It's been around one generation, so. Right. Um, all right, yeah. And in one place. What do you mean by one place? What do you mean by been around a long time? With who? Well, I, the mid the midwifery circuit, like from Virginia and when I was up there with Cheryl Willis and that gang. That's what I'm saying, one now. place. Ah, you're right. You are exactly right. It did start in one place. One place. Oh, my goodness. Someone discovered discovered that you could make an infused oil of lemon balm and that it could be applied topically to herpes lesions, and to heal them, and to actually get rid of the herpes. And that the midwife up there in Pennsylvania that is doing that exact That thing. information made the rounds, and somebody reading it said, well, if lemon balm oil can do that, I'm sure that lemon balm tincture could get rid of herpes internally. <laughs> oh, no. That... But that's not true. But you can read about it in 20 books. 
Gosh, man, consider the source, eh? So the fact that something is repeated or used a lot doesn't make it correct, effective, or safe. References to um, situations, and I, you are exactly right. Wow. Thank you, Susan. That's good. Thank you so much. I appreciate your time. Green blessings. Good night. Green blessings. Good night. Well, we just have a minute, no more callers, so it looks like our guest. All right. Well, why don't I introduce our guest, Lauren Cooper is an artist, farmer, and community herbalist living in the Appalachian Mountains of southwest Virginia. With her family, she has owned and operated Green Star Farm and Apothecary in Virginia since 1991. As an herbalist, she grows forages, stocks, and markets locally, a large apothecary of medicinal plant preparations with the help of apprentices and runs a small free and barter clinic. Inspiration from her herbal practice informs her work as an artist. She is the author and illustrator of Green Star Folk Herbal Do-It-Yourself Plant Medicines for the People. I welcome you to the show, Lauren. Hey, Susan. How are you? I'm doing well. How about you? Oh, we're doing pretty well here. Yeah. Lots of mushrooms in the woods. It's been very rainy. Yes, it has. Yeah. Excuse me. Has the hurricanes been missing you? Huh? Well, yeah, let's see. We had sort of the tail end of Laura, I guess, but it was it was not a big deal. She just kind of came through while we were at the farmer's market and brought some rain, but it was not as much as we thought. So it's been just a lot of mushrooms in the woods and a lot of wetness everywhere. It's really what it's been. It's been nice. All right. Great. Yeah. You know, um, early on in the show, Rebecca wanted to know why you called it Green Star. Oh, <laughs> that's a good question that I get asked. Um, honestly, the reason we called, it goes back a ways, um, the reason we call our farm Green Star Farm was um, one time when I was tripping on mushrooms, all the plants on the ground turned into these amazing green stars, and that's why we named our farm Green Star Farm. Oh, that's beautiful. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's yeah, why. Yeah. Okay. So, um, usually farmers and herbalists are not artists. Yeah. Well, um, I started, well, you know, I went to art school in New York and um, got a lot out of that and was quite serious about painting, but then when it when I graduated, I just I didn't have any money, and 
I felt like I needed, I mean, there was, I can't go into all the details, but I needed to make a living. And so I started working as a cook in a series of vegetarian restaurants, and then that that turned into an interest in um, in in farming, you know, where the vegetables we were cooking in the restaurant were coming from. And then also it turned into a an interest in herbal medicine, I mean, partially because I had some health problems uh, that I needed to address. So it was somehow like the segue from art into herbalism and farming was really just like a practical concern, you know, of just needing to make a living. And I mean, I always kept kind of drawing and painting a little bit here and there whenever I could, but I've never been a professional artist. You know, I've sold paintings here and there and this and that, but uh, that's not how I make my living. But you have maintained your identity as an artist and have um, brought that into your work as a farmer and an herbalist. Yeah, I mean, it's the art is really, the art that I do is fed by my herbalism, especially. I mean, the farming, I'm a farmer, but I really consider my husband is, he's an amazing farmer, and I've always just sort of never could keep up, really, and, you know, I help him when I can, but I'm really in our partnership. I'm the herbalist, and he's the farmer, really, but I feel like my, the art that I do, um, is very informed by my herbalism, and my herbalism is very informed by my art. I feel like the two kind of reflect each other a lot, and that that's the two are very connected for me. Um, yes, I mean we can kind of imagine you're like, say, creating a, an image of uh, a plant or an image even of a person that you've helped. Um, so I think it's pretty easy for us to imagine how you would um, bring your, you know, work as an herbalist to your art. But how do you bring your art to your work as an herbalist? Well, that's a great question. Let's see. How can I answer that? Um, I guess I feel like the art that I do is sort of like a cosmology almost, or um, I guess I consider myself something of an animist and so the work that I do as an artist is it's really like the backbone of who I am in a lot of ways and it's an exploration of my connection to the spiritual realm and to the realms that are mysterious and maybe not quite so obvious to most people and I feel like that really informs my work with clients and the work that I do in the apothecary my I mean I'm I'm not a scientific herbalist really I mean I, I do read scientific papers some and I certainly look at studies and all that but the way I work with clients and with with making medicines is really more artistic than scientific if that makes sense it's That's more of a, more of a folk herbalist approach and when I work with clients, it isn't always necessarily even, um, it may not even be using herbs. I mean, often it is, but sometimes I do tarot readings for clients, or we just talk, or we walk around the garden, 
you know, there's no, like, I don't really have a set way that I work with clients. Every single interaction is different um, depending on their needs, and their belief system is huge. Does that make sense? So you're saying that your client load at the clinic is small enough that if somebody comes, you can go out for a walk with the client? Yeah, sometimes, definitely, yeah. It's a, it's a small, um, and my client load is, I don't, I only take clients when I feel like I should, um, and it is a small load. I, mean, I have certain clients I've worked with for many, many years, you know, and I have, like, folders on there, you know, with their, or I guess, you know, files for them, and then there are other clients I might only see once, you know, um, I'm not very professional about it the way I know a lot of herbalists are, where it's like everything is just like very sort of scientific and done in a very clinical way. That's why I don't call myself a clinical herbalist. Even though I see clients, I consider myself a community herbalist, which I think there's really is a distinction. At least for me, there's a huge distinction. I I think there also is, uh, but I don't think that it's folk medicine. I do not think at all that what you're doing is folk medicine. My definition of folk medicine is comfrey relieves sore muscles. Sounds good on the surface, but when you actually try to do it, you don't know what part of the comfrey. You don't know when it's harvested. You don't know how to prepare it. You don't know what the dose is. That's folk medicine. Folk medicine doesn't give you specifics. What you're doing is specific, so it's no longer folk medicine. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I maybe agree or disagree on that. No. Huh? I don't know if I agree. I don't think there completely. is such a thing as scientific herbalism. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I know there's a lot of people who like to think of their herbalism as being scientific. You know, I. A lot of people, I know very few people who would say their herbalism is scientific. Who, yeah. who is it that, are there a lot of people in Virginia who think of the herbalism as scientific? Um, uh, I'm not going to mention names. I mean, there's, I'm thinking more like within the AHG or, you know, that sort of thing. Like the larger community in the United States. Not so much people in my neighborhood here. Uh-huh. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, we all have our different ways of working with clients, uh, if you even want to use that word, or community members, and, you know, I mean, there's no right way, and my way of thinking, it's everybody has to, everybody has their way of working with clients, and it, and there's, it's okay how, you know, I mean, if it works, it works, you know, <laughs> if it's a good relationship, you know, yeah. so if it's a good relationship, you will be seeing this person over the years, and that's one thing I like about being a community herbalist is watching children grow up and, you know, that I've worked with for a long time. Or, you know, I started out as a midwife apprentice. Um, <laughs> how I kind of got You really started. had done them from the beginning. Yeah, and it was, it's really, I mean, my first, my first um, interest in herbs was in, in uh, like a poison path or whatever, you know, I first got interested in herbs that were psychotropic, 
And then from there I moved, you know, towards the more gentler compatriots in the herbal kingdom, partially because I I needed to heal myself. And then um, I moved to Virginia from New York and met er er some midwives in our area, lay midwives, and started working as a midwife's apprentice. And I learned a lot from those women about homeopathy and um, herbs and just everything about babies, a lot about birth, obviously, every aspect of prenatal care uh, in a home setting, Um, you know, birthing at home and then postnatal care at home and transferring to the hospital at times and... um, and what you know, just the herbs and homeopathic remedies and other things we used during those times to help the women, you know, with their children, have their babies, take care of their babies and themselves. And um, that was that was kind of where I really started to deeply get involved, and that's when I really started building my apothecary. From those experience, out of those experiences. And so that community yeah. opened up to you. Yeah, I mean, it's it just, we've been here on this piece of land for 30 years now. And um, in most country a- communities, that's meaningless. Well, it, that's how long we've been here, whether, whether it means anything. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I just know about country communities, and you've been there 30 years. You're come yes. there. You're not part what? of the community. You want to be part I of the community, you have to be the third generation. Yeah, well, whatever you think, Susan, is fine. And that's not, I'm not saying what I think. I'm t- telling you what I've experienced in many rural communities, and I'm saying, ah, because you were the midwife, you were allowed in, in a way that frequently in communities one isn't allowed in. Yeah, well, it's not just the midwifery. We also have been farming here for 30 years, and and a lot of my connection to the community is really through the farmer's market, even way more than the midwifery, which I haven't done now since, and I think I stopped really going to birth in probably the late 90s, but we've been at this same farmer's market for 30 years pretty much now and that were like a fixture been fixtures there and that has really been the center in a lot of ways of the community that I feel the most connected to and the homeschooling community to an extent because both my children are unschooled basically homeschooled kids and we have a big community they kind of wrapped around that situation and where the children needed to find, you know, other families that they could they could do something with outside of public school, you know, where they could do things together. And so that community is really important. And, yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm from New York. You know, I didn't grow up around here. Right. Right. No, I, you know, I, I've lived here in this community since 1978. Yeah. And um, 
Aren't you from California? I have, I, I have, you know, done my best to be part of the community, and I, primarily I did that by making friends with the people who have ancestors here. Mm-hmm. By, you know, making friends with the farmers who've been farming for 150 years on the same land. Mm-hmm. And to be to open myself to what their views are and how they see things so that I understand why they are upset with people who come to the country and buy a farm and let the fields grow back to trees. Mm-hmm. And without associating with those people, I would not have understood why that upset them. Yeah. So you, you're, you, when you say farm, um, you farm vegetables? Um, yeah, we, we farm, it's a very tiny little farm, but we farm um, organic vegetables and some fruit, not much, and then herbal, a lot of herbs. We grow a lot of medicinal herbs and some culinary herbs. And um, we keep rabbits, meat rabbits, and chickens for eggs. And we, you know, we incubate it. We have, sometimes we, we eat the roosters, the baby, you know, the young roosters when we, when we start chicks. And we do sell, um, we sell some rabbit meat occasionally, and um, we sell eggs to the market. And, but it's mostly vegetables, a lot of heirloom tomatoes and greens, um, you know, garlic. It's like a farmer's market type of thing, so... We don't really wholesale, I and mean, we sell to we sell to health food stores in town. One in particular, but most of what we we sell is at the farmers market, and it's just directly to the customers there. And um, so we just come in once a week. Now we used to do more, but we're getting older, and just like set up this big stand with you know just a variety of stuff that we grew and harvested and. Also bring in some wild mushrooms sometimes. Um, honey, we have some honeybees. So um, in on the farm, and not always, but occasionally we'll have honey. And I bring my apothecary and sell that at the market. Cookies, scones, like that. Wow. Like, yeah, it's almost like a little tiny store right at you know at the end of the market. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. A good life, hard times, but good. Just like anyone's life, I guess. It's so true. So true. Yeah. What new herb did you grow this year? Let's see. Well, I grew hyssop, which I've never grown before this year. Um, Let's see what else is new this year. I have a lot of Stellantes and Ashwagandha that's not really completely new this year. I don't know if I you find Ashwagandha pretty easy to grow? Yeah. It's um it, yeah. It's it's a lot like an eggplant but it's a lot tougher. 
you know, you can, it's in the same family and it's a nightshade. And the plants look and feel kind of like an eggplant. And then, but they are really tough comparatively. Like eggplants here, if we don't cover them, young eggplants with row cover, they will just get decimated by flea beetles. But with um, ashwagandha, you can put them out there and, like, the flea beetles might, like, get at them, but they'll grow beyond that point and just be, you know, get really large and vibrant. Um, they like to be mulched. And we have really pretty good soil here after being here all these years, and my husband's really more about uh, making soil. Like, he, he says the soil is the most important part, and then the vegetables are sort of secondary. You know, so the soil here is is good, and um, it's been really built up and tended to. And so, yeah, the ashwagandha, that's a long answer to your question, but it does well here. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I just did a class this weekend on um, adaptogenic plants, mm-hmm. and we got to talking about, you know, which of these adaptogens can you really grow in our yeah. climate? So many of them come from India. Right. Yeah, no, it grows great here. And another one that's super easy to grow and I think incredibly, incredibly useful is holy basil. I I love that plant myself. And it grows, it's so easy to grow. I mean, because we also grow a lot of, um, we grow a lot of large leaf Italian basil, which is very popular at the farmer's market, especially when the tomatoes are coming in. So, and that is a much trickier crop to grow here. I mean, not that it's easy to grow, but it's susceptible to a, a type of fusarium wilt, I think it is, a type of wilt, like a disease. But the holy basil is, like, indestructible. It doesn't get that disease. Like in this rainy weather we're having now, the Italian basil's really struggling now, and we had a lot. We still have a lot, but it's struggling but the holy basil is great, and I love that plant. And I use a lot, I dry a lot of it every year for tea, really a lot. And I also give a lot to my rabbits. It really is good for them. They really seem to benefit from holy basil. And then I I'm so it. shocked. My rabbits turn their noses up at anything that has a scent. Ah, what kind of rabbits do you have? I don't know, just regular black and white spotted rabbits. Huh. Huh. Our rabbits go nuts for that stuff. And they like really aromatic things. Well, maybe maybe, uh, what I use instead of tofu is shiso. Gorilla fruit essence, because I find it much easier to grow than tofu. Uh-huh. I mean, it may be different where you live. I'm sure it is. Oh, yeah, for sure. Much different um, than so your Woodstock. So let's try giving the rabbits some shiso and see what happens. See if they eat it. That's a great idea. Thanks for the I, for the rabbit tip. Yeah, I give them. I, they also eat a lot of sage. I just give them all kinds of kinds of stuff, and um, they like that. And that's I give them ground ivy. They love ground ivy. I, I better not start talking about my rabbits because I could just go on forever about them. So. <laughs> you like your rabbits. I do, yeah. Love my I rabbits. often say I do not understand how people garden who do not have rabbits. Yeah, they make some really good manure. That's for Don't sure. Don't say that. Oh, my goodness. Yes. Yeah. 
They really do. Yeah. Yeah. The best. You have written um, some books, and you're involved in a project. You're the author and illustrator of Green Star Folk Herbal Do-It-Yourself Plant Medicines for the People, published just last year, and we want to know more about that. And I also want to know more about your medicine show. Okay. Well, um, that was the book. It's just a little self-published book, you know, soft cover, cheap. I try to sell it inexpensively, and that's one reason I kept the price down on it. It's it's just a I have a copy here. It's just a small book. It has a materia medica of about over a hundred herbs. I don't know exactly how many herbs are in there, and then there's a section about of just kind of my ideas about herbalism, and there's a description of the different preparations that you know that are sort of elementary, and there's a resource list, and it's really it's it's what I would call an entry level herbal. Um, and I, I, you know, it's illustrated with some of my artwork. I sell a lot of them at the farmers market and locally at the health food store. And then, you know, I give give them some away and whatever. Sell them on my in my Etsy store. It's really just um, in response to people who come to my farmers market, our farmers market stand, and they look at the tinctures and they say, oh. What essential oils are those? You know, because that's all they know about. It seems like a lot of the college kids come to our farmer's market. So I have to say, no, they're not essential oils. They're tinctures, and, you know, and they look confused. And or and they'll ask a lot of questions and, or, you know, or just look confused and walk away. And so this book was sort of just like a something like, well, here, look at this. This, this explains... These, you know, I mean, there's lots of books out there that do that. I, this, what I wrote in that way is nothing particularly um, groundbreaking, but it was really a response to my local community and just having something that people could buy inexpensively that would help them know more about herbal medicine and also hopefully empower them to get out there and maybe start making some of their own things. You know, I was inspired by your book, certainly, when I was getting going with oh, it. Thank you. How wonderful. Yeah. Brand. Yeah. I really was inspired by your books, definitely. Great. And yeah. your Project Medicine show exhibits your art. Yeah, that's that's just a, that's an exhibit that's currently in the gallery at the Student Center at Virginia Tech which is a big university here. And um, the thing with that was the the show was hung in March and was supposed to be up from March until May, but then COVID happened and everything got, the whole university shut down and the, and the, the exhibit kind of got trapped in the gallery there and was like closed, completely closed. All Squire's student center was closed. So, um, the curator of the exhibit um, made a virtual tour of the show, and that's actually linked, I think, to your – there's a link to it. If somebody was listening and wanted to check it out, they could they could link to the virtual show. But now it's open it for it, – they just opened it for about a month just because 
Virginia Tech is opening back up. Let's see how long that lasts. But it is open mm. now. And it's just to show my work, um, basically the, not all of my work, but work done over a period of years that is sort of related to my work as an herbalist. And there's a there's an audio-visual installation and kind of a big altar installation and then some two-dimensional and three-dimensional pieces that I've worked on. And that's wow. really what it is. Yeah, it's a big wow. gallery. There's a Ooh. lot of work in there. Yeah. A lot of work. Sounds amazing. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, check wow. it out. Check out the virtual show. All right. So, so, you did a good job. Uh, tell people how they can get in touch with you and tell people um, how they can get to that virtual show. I see this long thing, Campus Life Vermont Ed Student Center Square. Percent. Yeah. Yeah, we have click, to have that whole thing. They can so click on that. maybe you could just, oh gosh, because it's way too much to read out to people. Um, yeah, so if So maybe list- give people a way to get in touch with you and then you could okay. just provide a link that they could click on. Does that work? They can reach me at Green Star Farm at hotmail.com, all lower crate, all lowercase, green star farm, all lowercase, at hotmail.com. That's our email address. Um, I'm also on Facebook. Green Star Farm and Apothecary is our um, farm page, or I'm Lauren Cooper. I also have a um, an Etsy store where... Um, that's Green Star Vintage, and that's on Etsy. And you can find me at the Blacksburg Farmer's Market in Blacksburg, Virginia, every Saturday from 8 a.m. till 2 p.m. And that farmer's market is still going on, even in COVID days. Yeah, it shut down for a little while, and then it was, for a little while, it was shut down completely, and then it was pre-order only, and now it's open again, and it, it's actually a little intimidating because it's really busy. Um, everybody, you, you, you're not allowed in the market without a mask, um, so we're all wearing masks, and all the customers are wearing masks. But it's it's busy, it's full and bustling, and uh, it's open for now. I mean, unless that's it seems so far so good. Yes, all the ordinary things of our life now, now seem absolutely miraculous. Yeah, after not having them. Right. Yeah. Well, Lauren, it has been a real delight to talk with you, and I have so many more questions. I'd certainly talk to you for a longer time, but it is a blog talk show, and they're pretty severe about shutting it down right at 9.30, and we're getting real close now. So yeah. I'd like to give you this last minute. Um, what do you want to leave in the hearts and the minds of everyone who's listening to you tonight. Oh, I'd just like to offer green, green blessings and tell everyone to get outside as much as they can. Get out in the woods, listen to the birds, look at the mushrooms, smell the flowers, you know, just get outside, get away from the computer. <laughs> Sounds You sound like Eagle Song who says, that the best advice in her life she ever got, she got from her mother, who said, "Go outside and play." Exactly. That's exactly. Exactly right. Go outside <laughs> and play, everyone. 
Go outside and play. Thank okay. you so much for being with us tonight, Lauren Cooper. Thank you for helping me with my great uh-huh. project of restoring herbal medicine to its rightful place as people's medicine. And thank you for helping to reweave the healing cloak of the ancients with your threads and your spinning. That healing cloak is vibrant and strong and sparkling, and I appreciate you. Appreciate you, Susan. Dream blessings and good night, everybody. Good night. Good night, everyone.